minor stocks. In this particular edition, we'll start looking at holiness in the book of Revelation or the Apocalypse, which is another name, an unveiling. But before we delve into the subject of holiness, in Revelation, a few points need to be made concerning the book itself. The book of Revelation is definitely a book for time of crisis. And we need to bear in mind that the book was written against the background of persecution that arose from the demands of Roman emperor worship. And the book in itself is a supreme example in the New Testament of what we call the apocalyptic style of writing. These are prophecies concerning the end of the age expressed in vivid but veiled symbolism. Unfortunately, the book is notorious for the variety of interpretations that have been given to the point that it has clouded what exactly is the purpose or purposes or message of the book. Most attention has been focused on the future. And sad to say, the theme of holiness, as significant and important as it is in the book, has been largely underreported, or should we say, to a large extent, neglected. And one reason among these, among particularly among evangelical Christians, is the perception that Revelation's focus is too much on the future to be able to supply any teaching on sanctification in the present. So most of the times when people read Revelation, interpret Revelation, they think in terms of the future. I usually don't recommend books publicly, but let me take the risk of recommending two good ones on the apocalypse. One is by a great New Testament scholar. Both of them are great New Testament scholars, by the way, whose work I've come to value and appreciate. One is the apocalypse by John Christopher Thomas. You can't beat that one is one of the best commentaries available on the book of Revelation. So if you really want to dig into the book and want to learn more, I would encourage you, get a copy of John Christopher Thomas's The Apocalypse or the book of Revelation. The second one is also the book of Revelation by Stephen Smalley. Those are two significant and important commentaries. Now, this is not to suggest that there are not others. There are others out there. But these are two that I want to recommend that you need to have in your library if you want to buy commentaries on Revelation. When the apocalypse or Revelation as we know it is seen mainly as a description of what will happen in the end time future, then reflecting God's holy character 
in our present situation, in our current life, on a daily basis, easily becomes not important. It becomes a peripheral concern. And the problem is compounded by those who have been engaged in dispensational interpretations. I remember as a young convert, the first book I bought was on Revelation. And one of the things we are taught is that the church is gone at the beginning of chapter four, where you hear, come up here. And if the church is gone away in chapter four, then what happens to the church? It means that the church escapes the task of only living on earth. In other words, all that happens in chapter four all to chapter 19 has got no bearing with the church at all. But I want to suggest that that's not the case. Rather to argue or to maintain that revelation is in every sense, in every way, and in a very deep way, particularly, concerned with a call to Christian holiness in the world. And not only that, I am suggesting that a read of Revelation will show that to live holy lives, particularly as far as the apocalypse is concerned, is not to be seen or viewed in terms of individual holiness. Now we understand that we have to be personally holy. But when one looks at Revelation, it becomes very clear that holiness in the book is corporate and holiness is supposed to be a public embodiment of the holiness of God. That is the holiness that is very ethical in character. Holiness that is not just ethereal or theoretical in nature, but rather holiness that is to be seen in everyday living. So when we look at the book of Revelation, it is very clear that Revelation has a lot to do with holiness. The question then is this, what exactly does it mean for John, for John's audience, to be the holy people of God? In this series of holiness talks, we've been getting at this question in different ways and keep on happen on the fact that a call to holiness is a call to live holy lives now. Holiness is supposed to be ethical. How do we live holy lives? <clears throat> In the midst of our day-to-day -day cultural and social world. And then added to that will be another question. How would or in which way would Revelation's vision of a holy church help to form communities of faith that will embody or incarnate or display God's holiness in our world? How does that happen? How does that take place? Now, all these questions beg for answers. And in this episode and subsequent one or subsequent ones, We'll take time to look at holiness revelation. Now, when you look at the book, 
it is very clear that the call to holiness is to be lived out in a particular social context. In the book of Revelation, the same is true of us today. We don't live holiness in isolation. We live holiness, we live holy lives within our own sociocultural world. For the audience of John, or for the audience of the writer of the Apocalypse, the context was Roman Asia, and it was most likely near the end of the first century. So John was not just a mere visionary and a prophet, but John, in the real sense of the word, was also a pastor whose message was directed towards the ecclesia. His message was directed toward the ecclesiae, that is, the churches of God. So he was not just writing something which had no bearing with people or bearing with life. Rather, he was addressing his words to the churches. And we see that in chapter 1, verse 4, Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, and then in chapters two and three, the message to the seven churches. And of course, in chapter 22, verse 16, you see, John knew the churches very well. You see, contrary to the more traditional interpretation of Revelation, the main problem that these believers were facing, these Christian communities, was not official persecution from Rome. We need to bear that in mind. Although there was sporadic oppression, which was possible when one reached chapter 2, verse 10, and chapter 3, verse 10, for the majority of these churches that we're going to be looking at, for the majority, the greatest threat was a temptation to compromise with the dominant Roman culture. Now bear that in mind. Isn't that exactly the same thing we have today? Which is the temptation to compromise with empire values, with the dominant Roman culture around us. Christians in Western Asia Minor were under daily social and economic pressure to participate in Roman public life. Nothing has really changed. And that public life was tightly bound to the imperial cult and worship of various traditional gods. So what the visionary, what, the, what John the writer of the apocalypse, what he sees, and what many of his readers did not see is that by making peace with the ways of the empire, by compromising, by capitulating to the ways of the empire, these churches are guilty of a collusion with an entire system, an entire system that comprises of religious, political, and economic power. Another kingdom, another empire altogether 
which demands an allegiance that is due to God. So there is a problem, right, when you read Revelation. But then as we begin to look at holiness in Revelation, we will submit that the place to start is a holiness of God, a holy God. You see, we can't talk about holiness without mentioning a holy God. And here in the book of Revelation, the holiness of God is well articulated. We see it all over the place. Apart from the fact that the person of God is construed in a territorial manner, you see that God is a holy God. Right in the book of Revelation, we see, I mean, at the greeting, it began to talk about God. In chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, in Revelation chapter 1, let's look at verses 4 and 5. We begin to look at holiness. In Revelation, it starts with the holiness of God. John to the seven churches, that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom of priests, to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. So you see, the greeting right there, who was, who is, and is to come. So looking at revelation and looking at holiness, the place to start is the holiness of God. Holiness begins with God, whether in Revelation or in Genesis or in Exodus or any book of the Bible, we can't say too much. The starting point of holiness is God. But when you come to the apocalypse or revelation specifically, we discover that holiness is not in the first place an ethical ideal, but rather holiness is the identity and character of God. Holiness is the identity and character of God. Bearing in mind that the church is holy as it is in relationship with the Holy God. You see, God's holiness is spotlighted above all in John's vision of the heavenly throne room in chapters four and five. If you look at John, Revelation chapter four and chapter five, which is the throne room, two important chapters in the book, of course, we know that every chapter is important. But when we are looking at it in terms of the center and looking at what it looks like, the holiness of God, you'll find it in this book. Revelation chapters four and five. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet. Now, we don't have the time to read the whole chapters four and five, but it needs to be made clear that those two chapters talk a lot about holiness. 
those two chapters conform what we call the theological center or crux of the book. And what we find here in Revelation chapters four and five are just an echo, so to say, of what Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter six. Remember in chapter four, verse eight of Revelation, it says, holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. God is exceedingly holy. God is distinct from his creation. I mean, God is holy, is distinct from his creation. From John's perspective, what is true in heaven must come to earth. God is a holy God. God's name is to be hallowed. If you remember in the Lord's Prayer, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. But the truth is that what was taking place on earth was different from what was taking place in heaven. What do we find on earth? We find injustice, inequality, oppression, exploitation of the Roman system of power. Nobody puts it as clearly as that great theologian and New Testament scholar puts it, Richard Balkan, in his book on theology of revelation. said, John and his readers lived in a world in which God's name was not hallowed, was not treated or regarded as holy. God's will was not done. And evil ruled through the oppression and exploitation of the Roman system of power, end of quote. And because of his absolute holiness and righteousness, God cannot under any circumstance tolerate evil and the ungodly forces that dominate the world. God is still God. What we're saying is that in the book of Revelation, we see a holy God, but we see the people of God living in a world that is not holy, a world that is not righteous. So when you read the rest of the book, after chapters four and five, you see God's holiness expressing itself in judgment on a world that was a wall away from God, idolatrous and sinful. And we see the God who sits on the throne is the Holy One whose judgments are true and just. You see in Revelation chapter 19, Revelation chapter 19, look at it in verse 11. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Here it says, and I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war. In righteousness he judges and wages war. It's true. Remember in chapter three, verse seven, 
writing to the church or speaking to the church in Philadelphia. He introduces himself as the Holy One and the True One in chapter 3, verse 7. You see his appearance in a blazing splendor like Daniel, son of man, in chapter 1, verses 12 to 16. And you see Jesus as the divine warrior who judges evil and wages war in righteousness. The joyful thing in all this is to know that although God is a holy God, and we, we're grateful to him for being who he is, God is not far away from his people. His people are represented by those seven churches. Unfortunately, like we said, dispensational interpretation has kind of divided everything, this church, Laodicean age, that age, that age, forgetting that all these churches lived and existed at the same time, at the same time. So there's no basis for dividing dispensational age, Laodicean age, Spana age. There's no room for that. What is important to learn is that God, the holy God, using theological parlance, is immanent, is up there, and yet is transcendent, is there and is here. He's not far away from his people. He's not distant from his people. And we see the picture of Jesus in the midst of the seven lampstands, which represent the seven churches. Jesus is the one who is present among them. And he calls the churches to repent and to embody their Lord's holy character. So what do we find then in the book of Revelation? What is the appropriate response? What is the appropriate response? The question is answered by the New Testament scholar, Mrs. Melissa Archer, on our walk, on revelation, on worship, which unfortunately we also don't look at in the book of Revelation. Worship. Worship has something very important. Throughout the apocalypse, the saints and heavenly beings who acknowledge God's sovereignty are engaged in acts of worship, which acclaim God's holiness and righteous judgments. The truth is that we cannot rightly worship God unless our lives are in sync and in tune with the purposes of God and unless our lives reflect the holiness of God. Remember, holiness is derived. I mean, in the Beatitudes, say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Only they shall see God. What then is the message of holiness in Revelation telling us? It's telling us that God's people must choose whom they will serve. God's people. And the the message is the same today. God's people. And it requires worship. And when we talk about worship, we're not just talking about clapping our hands. No, we're talking about adoration and obedience, two com components of holiness. So in this episode, we've laid the ground 
for examining holiness in the apocalypse or in the book of Revelation. Bear in mind all we've said today is that holiness is rooted in God. And as a result, our holiness is derived and God demands holy lives from his people. And how do we respond? We respond in worship. And what do we mean by that? Adoration and obedience. Don't forget the words of Habakkuk. God is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. We'll be looking more in the coming episodes about holiness in the apocalypse. In the meantime, enjoy the Lord, serve Him, follow Him, and do His will. God bless you.